So what does it mean to follow a strong town's approach? If I'm going to build my city with a strong town's approach, wh- what do I do? What do I do? What, what are the steps that I take? It's interesting because we've struggled with this for a long time. Um, back in the very early days of my writing, it was probably the primary critique, you know, Chuck, what, what would you have us do? And my answer was just like, stop doing that. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I was doing these analyses of these different projects and looking at, uh, you know, the, the way cities were built and the, the way things were being assembled. And, and the only thing I could say was stop, you know, uh, that was the only thing was certainty that I knew was like, you know, don't, don't do that. And, you know, while I was enamored to some degree with things like form-based codes and, you know, uh, to an extent like complete streets and, you know, all the things that were kind of in the, uh, in the planning field that I was a member of and, and a practicing, you know, a practitioner of all the, all the kind of fads and, and, you know, hot kind of items. I was, I, I was into that. And you can see that in the early writing. I still knew that 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 was an incomplete kind of thing, you know, like that that didn't really get to the core of what we were talking about at Strong Towns. In the very early days, we did develop something called the Strong Towns approach, and it it's amazing to me how well it's held up. Uh, you know, a, a few of the very early things that we sat down and put together have done remarkably well over time, and so. There's kind of a philosophy that, in a sense, was off of those early documents, off of those early insights that has evolved and become what we refer to just as the strong towns approach. Again, not very prescriptive. Um, you know, we, we don't we don't have something you know that's going to tell you what to do in in every situation or something so simple as to be just rote. It still requires a lot of mental power and a lot of thinking, but the idea was that, you know, kind of the core insight of strong towns is a certain level of humility, a certain level of uh, recognition that every place is a little bit different. We're all going to be struggling with different things. You can approach these things in different ways. Um, But, you know, there are some kind of fundamental things that tie us all together. We try to capture that in those early, um, you know, the strong towns approach, the early ideas, such as, you know, rely on little bets, not transformational projects. That, that's been with us since the early days. The idea that, you know, instead of trying to go out and, and do something in one fell swoop, fix something with a, a big, huge project, throw tons of money at a problem, you know, utterly transform something uh, overnight we should have a little bit of humility. We should recognize the limits of our knowledge. Uh, We should work with little bets. We should take smaller steps and allow things to respond, Uh, allow ourselves to be wrong, right? Uh, You know, give ourselves uh, the blessings to not be omniscient. Another one, you know, emphasize resiliency, not simply efficiency. The idea that, you know, there is a trade-off in resiliency, when you focus on efficiency, uh, there's a great cartoon I remember from a few years ago of uh, someone rowing like the wrong way. And, and the cartoon was, you know, you're going the wrong way. And the person said, yeah, but I'm really efficient doing so. 
Um, and to me, that's always kind of captured this notion, like we can be really efficient. Uh, but if we're really efficient doing something that is harming us, that's not very helpful. Um, there's some benefit, as Nassim Taleb would say, in having slack in the system. And uh, the attempt to squeeze it all out with efficiency comes with its own long-term costs. Uh, we recommend systems that emphasize resiliency, not just simply efficiency. A, a third one, design things to adapt to feedback. Um, that goes for buildings. It goes for streets. It goes for uh, bureaucratic systems. Uh, it goes for decision-making processes. Uh, the, the, the whole idea here is to expose yourself to feedback and design the things that you do so that they uh, are able to uh, receive that feedback and then make changes based on that. You know, cities are complex adaptive systems. And the key insights of complex adaptive systems are, are, are based around the idea of uh, you know, individual components of any complex system receiving input, uh, stress, opportunities, uh, awareness, and being able to independently respond to that. And, and in doing so, uh, affect and impact uh, everything around it. You know, the, the idea is you want to create feedback loops positive feedback loops, um, but also, you know, feedback loops that uh, are corrective, ones that point out your flaws early. When we design systems that are adaptable and adaptive feedback, uh, we create, um, you know, virtuous feedback loops, virtuous cycles, uh, which is where we want to be. Um, the fourth one, uh, use bottom-up action, not top-down systems. Uh, there's a juxtaposition there that everybody latches on to right away, the bottom up versus the top down. But there's another juxtaposition in that sentence, uh, you know, juxtaposing action versus systems. Um, when we use bottom up action, we're actually uh, humbly observing where people struggle in our community. We're actually uh, putting ourselves in touch with how people act, how they respond, to the way the city has been built. We're actually using their actions more so even than their words or their feedback or their statements uh, to actually judge the effectiveness of what we're doing. Uh, I, I've been oftentimes inspired by uh, some, of the, some of the things attributed to Steve Jobs. They might be apocryphal, they might not be, but uh, there's a lot of uh, systems design things that have been attributed to him over time that I've, I've found inspiring. And one of them is along the lines of the fact that, you know, people won't tell you <laughs> what they really want. Um, they'll tell you what they maybe think they want, or they'll tell you what you think they think you want to hear. Um, but the only way to really understand what someone wants is actually watch their actions, watch what they do, respond to that. Um, com computer people have got this down, you know, that the tech world uh, does a lot less focus groups, uh, a lot fewer, um, you know, asking people what they want in their app and what the feedback is and, and far more watching and monitoring what people do and how they respond. We do this on our own website. We publish an article that we think is really great. Uh, and then we run some, uh, some programs on it to watch how far down people scroll, where they click, uh, what they respond to. And we will adjust the article 
uh, based on that feedback. Uh, there's been a lot of times where I've written something that I thought was just brilliant and uh, nobody read it and nobody liked it. And we would look at the article and we'd say, what's going on here? We think this is really good. And we'd find that people would get you know, hung up in the third paragraph or hung up on an image and they would stop scrolling down and stop reading. And we would go in and edit that up and fix it. And lo and behold, people responded to that. Now we, we could have asked people, what do you like? What do you not like? And we would have gotten uh, probably some crazy feedback, you know, some, some, some feedback that was more than likely not helpful. Uh, when we use bottom-up action, when we actually deal with the way people use the systems that have been created, uh, and we respond to that, we're actually doing something very powerful. And when we uh, fall back on these top-down systems and our theories of change and our notions kind of disconnected from reality of what things should be like, uh, we find that we are disconnected from reality. The fifth uh idea of a strong times approach then was to conduct as much of life as possible at a personal scale. Uh, when we scale things to humans, when we scale things to individuals, uh, what we find is that immediately everything becomes more productive. Uh, financially, at the end of the day, the development patterns that we build are far more productive when they're scaled to humans than when they're scaled to automobiles. Um, that is a, a kind of a universalism that we've identified through data and through, uh, you know, other rigors that just, you know, translates into kind of this uh, historic ancient wisdom of how to build cities that, you know, the more you're into it, the more self-evident it becomes. And then finally, the sixth thing is to just do the math, always do the math, always be rigorous, uh, hold yourself to a really high standard, be very transparent in everything you do. And, you know, show your work. Basically, my daughters come to me and want help with their math. And I will say, all right, you know, show me your work, show me what you've done so far. And they've learned, you know, don't come to me unless you can show me your work, show me what you've done. I, I want to be able to follow along with you, walk through what you've done and, and where you've struggled and what your assumptions were and, and help you think those through and understand those. So much of what cities do is opaque and we actually should be the most rigorous in what we do. So these are the six parts of a strong towns approach. And they've been with us for over a decade now. And it's fascinating because, you know, those six parts are very compelling. There's a lot of uh, things that come out of that. In fact, you know, if you think of uh, a good pop song as being three chords and, you know, the kind of infinite number of variations you can write using this three chords, uh, we've given you six chords here. And, you know, I firmly believe that if you stick to those six chords, uh, there are an infinite number of variations you can come up with. Uh, you can, you know, as we've said for a long time, uh, you can be on uh, what in the United States would be the political left and build a strong town. Uh, you can be on the political right and build a strong town. Uh, there are enough variations in these six chords uh, to be able to approach this in a number of different ways, consistent with your own philosophies and ideas, consistent with your own local culture and, and, and approach uh, to build a place that ultimately at the end of the day will be strong and resilient. Um, and we've embraced that. Like we think that, you know, that's great. But the critique has always been, Chuck, you're not telling us what to do. Like tell us what to do. Um, give us like five steps, you know, tell us like the three things we're supposed to do. And here's the funny thing. At times we've tried to do that. 
you know, Strong Towns is way more than just me. Uh, you know, we have a, a number of people who write for us. We have a number of volunteers. Uh, we have contributors. We have a board. Uh, we have thousands of members, uh, people who feel a, a very strong ownership in what we're doing. And, you know, all these people have at, at times, you know, not all these people, but a, a lot of these people at times have come forth and said, you know, hey, uh, here's three things we should be doing right now, or here's five things. And let's, you know, let's be strong on these things. And, you know, we've run some of that and we've done it. And, and some of it has done really well. Uh, sometimes people react very well to it, but, you know, in it, it, it's kind of guaranteed to happen when you do something like this, that someone will come up and say, well, this, this doesn't apply to me. This doesn't make sense. This is absurd. Like, I'm not going to do this. Or, or here's an exception to that or an exception to, to this. Or, you know, what about this, you know, three years from now or five years from now? And I'm, I'm one of these people who, uh, you know, and it might be a character flaw. I'm, I'm fine with that if that's what it is. I'm definitely not one of these, uh, you know, the leader type person who is going to stand up and say, uh, you know, I, I, I look at like George W. Bush after 9-11 and, you know, this is, this is an example we can look back on. Um, I, my reaction to 9-11 would not have been to, you know, bomb two countries, uh, put together a, a huge, you know, domestic infrastructure, uh, called Homeland Security, uh, consolidate a bunch of things, you know, go big or go home. That, that would not have been my reaction. I'm not that type of a leader. And, you know, uh, sometimes we need those kind of leaders. Sometimes those kind of leaders are important. Uh, you know, I, I think you can look at someone like maybe FDR as being one of those leaders in, in you know, Churchill in World War II. Uh, there are times for that type of leader. I think they're very rare. You know, I think they're one in a century kind of times. Um, I think they're very rare. Uh, I think when cities adopt those kind of leaders, uh, they tend to flame out very quickly. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, that's not my style. That's not my approach. I, I think sometimes people would like us to be that. And, you know, I, 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 I find that work when we've tried to do it to be some of the least compelling stuff we've done. I want to offer maybe a different approach now today uh, or, or a different analysis than that, because I, I think we have come up with something now. Uh, that is being released today at strongtowns.org that is incredibly compelling and, and does actually take us to that step of what do we do now? Uh, and, and the reason we've been able to do this is because there, there is this uh, urgency now today. There is this shared um, threat, if we want to call it, or, or shared experience, uh, the kind of combined uh, right hook, left hook for local communities of the coronavirus and all the uh, public health impacts of that, combined with all of the economic impacts of unemployment, distress, uh, people being uh, you know e either uh, shelter in place by order or opting to uh, you know consume less or or shelter in place themselves and be out and about less or uh, you know. Um, you know, being uh, in a sense in a place or an age group or a demographic where you are making some of those choices or, or just being unemployed and not having the uh, 
the option to live the lifestyle you may have lived, you know, two months ago or three months ago. Um, we're seeing, you know, massive levels of economic distress. This one-two punch, this right hook, left hook that local leaders are experiencing today, that local communities are having to deal with, uh, creates this opportunity where all of a sudden, from a strong town standpoint, uh, the things we need to do right now are almost universal. And they come into focus very, very quickly because when you start to apply those six principles of a strong town's approach, it becomes very clear what needs to be done. I, I wrote out a list of nine things uh, that every city should be doing right now to respond to this double whammy. Um, first, get people fed. Uh, we need people in our community to have food. Uh, the second one is get people shelter. I think these two are very closely related. Local governments tend to not do either of these things well. Fortunately, there are lots of uh, organizations uh, within our communities that do. Um, some of those are religious organizations. Uh, we have seen uh, Christian-based organizations as well as uh, other religions uh, uh, you know, step up and say, we're ready to feed people. And we're ready to feed people, you know, re regardless of their personal beliefs or their personal, uh, you know, faith, um, part of our faith. And, and this, again, crosses many, many different religions. Uh, it's not just a Christian thing, uh, although in, in my community it has largely been. Uh, but I've seen reports from other places where it's, it's other groups saying, you know, we're ready to feed people. That's what we're called to do. Um, some of these have been uh, non-religious. Uh, we have, you know, the school district here in my community has stepped forward and said, uh, we have the capacity to feed some people and we're going to use our resources to be able to do that. Um, cities can support this. Local leaders can support this. We need to get people fed. We need to get people shelter. And uh, that needs to be an urgency. One of those things where uh, we make it a top priority right now, because that is the, the urgent thing that people are struggling with. Um, we need to support the public health response. I mean, that's the third uh, action step that I said for local leaders. You know, we need to uh, support what is going on with public health. The, the, this debate over whether, uh, you know, uh, this is an economic crisis or a public health crisis uh, is, quite frankly, a silly one. It is, yes, it is both. And, you know, the idea that we would pit one against another or, or put one against another is... Um, you know, is something that uh, at the local level, we don't have the luxury of doing. We have to be prepared to take action. We have to be able to prepare to work on both of these, uh, both of these fronts simultaneously. Um, the fourth step, uh, connect masks to economic recovery. Um, I am in one of these areas where when I go out and I have, you know, now in the last week, a couple times, I went to the greenhouse uh, with my wife um, I've gone out a couple of times and I've worn a mask and I am in a small, small minority of people wearing a mask. I know in some urban areas, it's actually flipped. Uh, one of our board members has told me if he were to go out without a mask, there would be people uh, yelling at him and shunning him and, and ostracizing him because in his place, uh, which is a major city, that's not acceptable. In, in my small town, uh, it's the opposite. We're in a, in a different place than that. Um, our local leaders need to not only wear masks, because masks are uh, the like proven way. And, and don't throw data at me. I mean, I'm, I'm it, it, <laughs> you. You don't have to be a genius to understand that if you have a mask on, you're exhaling less stuff, right? It's it's not about protecting you. It's about protecting everyone else. Um, 
the idea of wearing a mask needs to be uh, commonplace and our local leaders need to demonstrate it. And when they're demonstrating it, uh, when they're being leaders by showing people what to do, they also need to be talking about it, not in public health terms. Um, Public health terms tend to be shaming in this regard, but they need to talk about it in terms of economic recovery terms. The way we are going to get our economy going again is to have people out and about wearing masks until we have resolved the public health side of this. Um, I'm not optimistic that uh, a vaccine is going to happen anytime soon. Uh, We may develop one. We may have promising leads. Uh, We don't even have PPE in hospitals now. Uh, And, you know, we've known about this for some time. We've been had two months of like this flaming hot uh, crisis going on, and we still don't have masks in hospitals. The idea that we're going to ramp up production of a vaccine here domestically and have that, you know, distributed to 300 plus million people in any type of near term time frame is just silly to me. It's just ridiculous. Um, you know, prove to me we can produce a mask and get it to people, you know, where they need it uh, first. And then let's talk about a vaccine. At a local level, we need our leaders up being. Uh, you know, very visible and wearing masks and not using shaming of, uh, of, of, you know, the public health response, but tying mask wearing to, in a sense, your patriotic duty to get the economy going again. This is the way we get back to some semblance of normal if we all just wear a mask. The, the fifth thing is we need to provide people space. There've been a lot of cities that have, you know, uh, opened up streets to people to give people more space to get outside. Uh, there've been other places that have closed down their parks. Um, here in my hometown, we've got signs in a couple of the parks. Our park board is, you know, kind of freaked out early on and shut things down and said, no, you can't go out here. Fortunately, people have been ignoring it, uh, for the most part. And there's been, you know, no one really out stopping them. Uh, the reality is, is that humans, uh, are a species that cannot be, Uh, locked up for long uh, without going crazy. And if we want uh, the public health response to be sustained, if we want the economic response to be sustained, uh, we need to take the pressure valve off of people. And we do that by giving them space. Take all the space that, you know, automobiles are no longer using the way that they were designed to uh, and give that over to people. Uh, Give people more space to be out and about. Um, You know, there's a I was thinking about this one study I read once about some rats in a cage and they would, um, you know, they would take a rat in a cage and they would, uh, give it a shock and, you know, they would, they would like ring a bell and give it a shock and, you know, the rat would just become meeker and meeker and meeker. And, and over time it would start to anticipate the pain that would come with the ringing of the bell. And, you know, you, you, you could study the, the actions of this rat um, then they would put another rat in the cage and, uh, you do the same thing, ring the bell and then administer the shock. And what was fascinating about the study is the transference, the way that the individual, uh, rat would transfer the, uh, the anxiety into the other rat. They would actually start to attack the other rat. They would fight with them. They would be upset, um, you know, they, they would, in a sense, uh, you know, blame 
the other rat for the misfortune that was befalling them. You know, w- without another explanation, what else could there be but this creature that I know and recognize next to me? If we want our humans to stay sane, if we want to keep their mental health up, um, we have to recognize that humans are social creatures. Uh, if we are isolated, if we are kept locked down, if we are not allowed to, to go out and stretch and, and see other people and have interactions at a safe distance, yes, uh, in you know safe spaces, yes, with masks on, absolutely. Uh, but if we don't find a way to accommodate that, and if that's not like a high, high urgent priority, um, we're going to have people start to go crazy. And we can't withstand that. That that's a problem that is easily solved uh, by you know providing people space. And so let's do it because we don't want to deal with that problem. Um, the next thing is to go easy on enforcement, and I think this kind of goes with the the providing people space. You know, I, I've I've seen some um, crazy reports of you know intense levels of enforcement, uh, police out you know arresting people who weren't wearing masks or who maybe were too close to each other. Uh, you know, in the age of social media, you, you never know how, you know, blown out of proportion these things are. Um, you know, certainly in a country of 300 plus million people, there are going to be people who take things too far. And, you know, we shouldn't use that to be like, you know, the, the norm or the thing we think is happening everywhere. Yet, you know, I've seen systematically, uh, you know, in places like Los Angeles, places like New York, you know, multiple reports of the police kind of taking things a little bit far. Um, I, I think that we need to talk to our uh, public safety people about using this as an opportunity for education. Um, if we have a population that, and, and you can see this in my place right now because this has been politicized and we do not have, I mean, we have 30 cases in the entire county. We have one person who has died uh, so far. Um, this is at a very low impact in my part of the world. And in a lot of uh, more suburban or rural areas, uh, the outbreaks have been rather hit and miss. In fact, of the 30 uh, in my county, 23 of them have been in one uh, nursing home facility. And so this has not been like a widespread experience. Um, I, 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 I think that it is impossible for us to imagine uh, society complying uh, voluntarily with stay-at-home orders if they have to do it in the face of you know massive levels of enforcement. Again, going back a couple recommendations ago, uh, let's get people prominently wearing masks, connecting that to uh, the economic response, uh, and getting our economy going again. Uh, let's provide people space and then let's have the police, uh, you know, be light on enforcement on this and strong on education and encouragement. They can be spokespeople for the policy and do a really good job at that. The next one, uh, support adaptation. And this really gets to the the small business side of this. You know, when we look at um, small businesses, uh, one of the things we we see that cities uh, are, 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 you know, tempted to do. And in fact, my city today, uh, as, as ridiculously broke as it is and far more broke that we're going to be, uh, when the budgets start to be put together for next year and the projections come out for what, uh, tax receipts are going to be. Um, we just started, we just voted to, to this week to start giving out money to businesses. 
um, they're going to give grants and just like, here's free money for you because you're a, a business in our city. And while I sympathize with the sentiment, um, I think the far more proactive thing that cities can do uh, would be to just loosen up everything so that businesses can adapt and figure this out. This is not going to end anytime soon. Um, we're not likely to be back to anything that is like a state of normal. Um, I think even if the public health threat went away, and, and by the way, you know, we still have 2,500 people a day that are dying. Uh, we still have, you know, thousands of cases being diagnosed every day. Um, you know, the, the idea that somehow we would just return back to normal quickly is, seems to be far-fetched. But even if we did from a public health standpoint, uh, the economic part of this is a, a, real, uh, a real mystery how things go back. I, I, you can say we can stimulate our way out of this and we can print money and we can you know, give it to whatever and we can extend loans and credit and grants and, and what have you. Um, it's hard for me to believe that many businesses uh, will you know, start hiring people back again anytime soon. If you're Boeing... You know, we can keep Boeing uh, working, you know, we can give them money and bail them out and, and help them pay their debts. Uh, but if nobody's ordering planes, and why would anyone order a plane from Boeing right now? <laughs> you know, wh why would anyone do that? Uh, Boeing's not going to be doing any work. Um, I think that you're going to see this ripple effect through the, the entire economy. And so what we're talking about here is not... Uh, how do we keep things, you know, in line for 30 days or 45 days or 60 days? Uh, we're really asking a question, how do our local businesses reinvent themselves? And for that, we need government to be flexible. We need them to allow adaptation. Uh, if they come to you and say, I can't do this parking space, fine. If they say they want the street closed, let's make that happen. If, if they want more room outside for social distancing, let's, let's figure out a way to make those things happen. Um, we're seeing all kinds of reports of cities that have for years uh, tried to do very simple things uh, but struggled when it came to a vote are all of a sudden being able to approve a lot of these things. Parklets, closing up a street, all these things that seemed impossible before are now very possible. We need to be going to our small businesses and not saying, how do we give you money? I, I think that's a, a foolish thing to be doing right now. Um, I think we need to go to them saying, what obstacles can we clear out of your path so that you can figure out how to have a viable business? A lot of businesses will fail and that should, uh, you know, pain us. And uh, I'm not trying to minimize the impact of that. Uh, but I think in recognizing that a lot of businesses will fail, a lot of businesses will adapt and will find a way to thrive in this environment and we'll figure that out and we'll become a model for others to copy. Those are the ones we need to give room to so support adaptation. Um, the, the, the next thing is to collect data. Uh, the, the eighth thing is to actually uh, start trying to understand what is going on in your communities. I, I use the example, we have a lot of people at City Hall uh, who don't have anything to do right now. Um, and they don't have anything to do right now because they were involved in systems of growth, systems of development. They were involved in things that really are not the urgent thing right now. Um, 
Let's get those people out calling those small businesses. Let's get those people out coordinating between uh, the person needing food and shelter and the organizations providing it. Uh, let's get those persons out collecting data and trying to understand and get us some actual uh, you know, information on what's going on on the ground so that we can do an effective response. And then the ninth step, uh, local uh, leaders uh, and local government in specific needs to preserve cash. Um, we need to, you know, that expansion project you're looking to do, that, that, that big project that's been in the works for years, that now is at the bidding phase and, you know, you're going to drop millions of dollars and take on a big bomb. Freeze those projects. Just stop that process. You are going to need cash. You're going to need cash six months from now. You're going to need cash 12 months from now. Uh, you're going to need cash and you're going to need flexibility. Uh, I would freeze every project where you can today and save that cash. Uh, I would freeze hiring and, uh, you know, to the extent that you can, and I'm, I'm not saying some type of, you know, reactionary blanket freeze. Um, I'm more saying, you know, I would leave to the extent that you can positions open. I would move people around internally uh, to meet urgent needs. I would try to make do with what I had because what cash right now buys you is, uh, is flexibility. It buys you options. It buys you uh, choices and the lack of cash, um, the lack of, uh, you know, liquidity in a sense in your system is going to limit your options. And what we need right now, because we don't know the future, is we need options. These are how the Strong Towns approach would, you know, th this is how the Strong Towns approach would start to manifest an immediate response. One that we could see all cities doing, one that we could see all communities starting to do. Here's a great thing. We put this together, along with some things to do in a midterm kind of mindset, in a you know, the, the immediate response is like the first 30 to 60 days. Uh, we put stuff together for two months to one year. We put stuff together for one year and beyond. Uh, in a book that we're calling uh, The uh, Local Leaders Toolkit, uh, A Strong Town's Response to Pandemic. And you can get that toolkit right now by going to strongtowns.org. Uh, you'll find it on our website. Uh, click on articles. It's the, the top article today when you're reading this. Uh, if you're you know, going to this a, a few days after it was released, uh, you'll still be able to find it on our homepage. If you're listening to this months or years later, uh, just Google the Local Leaders Toolkit Strong Towns and uh, you're going to get um, you know, this, this document. Uh, it goes through the immediate things we can do. It goes through the midterm things we can do. It goes through the long-term things we can do. And it talks uh, specifically about the mind shifts that we need to make uh, in order to bring people along with us in this change. I'm really proud of this document. It is, uh, I think, you know, the, uh, the, the culmination of many years of kind of struggling with uh, this question of what do we do now? What do we do next? Um, kind of coming to a head with a crisis that is shared uh, evenly across all communities, uh, really around the world, but particularly here in North America. We're all fragile in a very certain way. And these steps can help us deal with that in the short term, in the midterm, and in the long term. I've gone a little bit long here with what I was intending to today, because this is, as you uh, know, if you listen to our podcast uh, this week, our member drive week. Uh, we are uh, working uh, this week to uh, grow our membership base. 
Um, if you look at this local, local leaders toolkit, you're going to see something that we have put together uh, thanks to the support and the generosity of our members. Uh, 40% of our budget comes from uh, members, people who give us five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, uh, make a one-time donation of, of whatever uh, they can afford. I know that many of you out there are struggling. I know many of you have lost your jobs. Uh, you have maybe a spouse that's lost their job. Uh, you, maybe you're worried about uh, your financial future. Um, what I would like you to do is just go get the toolkit, read it, pass it along to people who could use it, um, help people, you know, get people in your place stronger uh, and, and thinking of these things in the right way. If you are in a position to help out, if you are one of these people who has the resources, uh, please consider becoming a member of Strong Towns. You can go to strongtowns.org forward slash membership, uh, sign up today. Seriously, any amount uh, would be wonderful. Uh, there are some benefits that go along with membership, but the greatest benefit is that you help us grow this movement. You help us reach more people uh, and you help us make change. I got into the office uh, today and uh, someone had sent me a video of a city council meeting uh, in some, uh, you know, some place that I, I have, have been before, uh, but, you know, not a place that's going to show up on the top uh, list of, you know, 50 uh, biggest or most influential cities in North America. But it was, you know, a, an important place nonetheless. And they were having a very deep discussion uh, about a plan that had been put together. And they were debating because this plan called for spending millions of dollars on some big projects. And uh, the video was sent to me with a timestamp, said, hey, watch this, Chuck. And uh, I brought it up, and here's the conversation. Uh, you know, uh, I vote to spend this, and then, uh, hey, I'm more for the Strong Towns approach. Here's what I would like to see. And as the conversation ensued and as uh, things went on, uh, we started to be referenced, and our approach started to uh, win the day. And at the end of the day, uh, the city is now rethinking things and going to look to uh, say, you know, how do we take a more incremental step? How do we try uh, some little bets? How do we make things that are adaptable? How do we use a strong towns approach? That kind of thing is happening all over the place. Every week we're getting uh, reports and people telling us like, here's how we're using these ideas. Here's how we're doing this in our community. Here's how this is making a difference. So I just want to encourage you, help us grow this movement, help us reach more people, um, help us get this toolkit in front of more and more people. Uh, go to strongtowns.org, get your toolkit. It's free. Uh, it's out there for everyone to use, to pass along, to benefit from, to uh, make their places stronger. And while you're there, uh, sign up to become a member and give us uh, the resources uh, to get this in front of more and more people and make this change happen. Uh, we are ready for this. This is a moment uh, that we have, you know, stepped up and tried to make the most of uh, where I think other organizations uh, have, you know, uh, responded in, in different ways that have been novel. Uh, I think a lot of people in the urbanist space are kind of struggling uh, because a, a lot of their models have been based on, you know, how do we uh, tweak this machine that's going forward? We have been waiting for, in a sense, uh, this fragility to be exposed. And now that it is, we're seeing overwhelming demand, overwhelming demand for strong towns and for what we're doing. Help us meet that demand. Help us meet that demand 
and make this world uh, a more stable and more prosperous place. Thanks, everybody, for what you do. Uh, keep working to build a strong town. And of course, uh, let's do everything we can to get stronger. If what I am is what's in me, then I'll stay strong, that's who I'll be. And I will always be the best me that I can be. There's only one me, I admit. Have a dream, I'll follow it. It's up to me to try. Oh, I'ma keep my head up high. Keep on reaching high. Never gonna quit, I'll keep getting stronger. And nothing's gonna bring me down. Never gonna stop, gotta go. Because I know I'll keep getting stronger. And what I am.